Welcome to the latest installment of The Curious Capitalist. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also local business owners, startups and entrepreneurs from across the state of Connecticut. On this edition of The Curious Capitalist, I am joined by Rodney Evans and Aaron Dignan. Rodney is partner of the management consulting company, The Ready, and Aaron is the founder of The Ready, and they're both co-host of the very popular podcast, Brave New Work. Hello to you both. Hello, hello. Hello. It's great to have you guys here today. Thank you so much for your time. So let's get to know you guys a little bit better. Tell me a little bit about how each of you got to this point in your career. Well, for me, it's been a bunch of lily pads, really. I mean, I've worked in and around change my whole career, but I started thinking about brand and then from there about how technology was changing culture and how we organized and then from there realizing that oh actually it's not about any of that stuff it's about how do we build adaptability and humanity into our workplaces and so I've just kind of I guess followed the questions that I'm sitting with and the one right now is like what's stopping us from doing our best work what about you Rodney for me I feel like uh, I've had sort of an inversion like career I a lot of the decisions that I've made have been about avoiding something versus going to something so like when I was in school, I knew that I wanted to do something businessy because, you know, it's the kind of town I grew up in. But I, there were a lot of things I didn't want to do, like finance or accounting. And so I sort of chose this path of people stuff. And then I started in consulting and there were all of these things about it that I found frustrating. So I moved away from that. And so a series of choices and a series of disillusionments sort of led me to the future of work because after a bunch of different kinds of jobs and different kinds of careers and different kinds of industries, I basically just realized that it's all kind of bullshit and there has to be a better way to do most of the things we do. And that led me into this. Now tell me about the ready. Give me a bit of a, a helicopter view of it. Well, the ready, I think, was really centered around this mission of like, change how the world works because I just, I don't know, sort of the way Rodney was talking about her, you know, career by omission. I just got really frustrated with all the different systems and challenges we face that just weren't adapting and learning and getting better fast enough. Uh, Certainly not for my taste, but also just not for what we're up against. I mean, from our political system to inequality, to the, you know, environment, to our social systems, to business, we just have a world full of institutions that are not ready that are not prepared for what's coming, um, for the complexity and for, for the things we have to navigate. And so the mission of the ready was all about like, what can we do to help that? What can we do to be a, a, you know, an agent for change in that space? And so started the company about five years ago with that mission and, uh, and went out and found organizations, you know, big and small who were thinking, you know what, we're pretty fed up with bureaucracy as well. And we're looking for help. And we became a coach to those organizations. So we embed with them. We spend time in workshops. We spend time in meetings and moments, making decisions differently, structuring teams differently, et cetera. It wasn't my dog. Whose was it? Own up. Oh, it's definitely mine. Yeah. He's going to have to be let in here for sure. He just wants his 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, he's got a lot of thoughts about org design. 
<laughs> so, so how did you guys meet? How did you get involved and how did you end up working together? Yeah. So I was working at another consultancy that was small and I was considered like the chief innovation officer, which is a hilarious name for what I actually did. But um, what we were trying to do there, it was a company called McChrystal Group. And what we were trying to do was look at a pretty epic transformation story around the special forces, the Joint Special Operations Command, and, and really understand and unlock what all it took to start to dismantle of fairly entrenched bureaucracy and operate more like an intelligence-led network. And my role there was to look at a lot of different disciplines and understand what adaptive leadership is really comprised of and what a lot of the ingredients are in adaptive organizations. And that if it sounds like kind of a dream job, it was for many reasons. And what I ultimately realized there, like I got a real education and understanding in what creates those outputs and what the right principles are and what like the design orientation is. But what I was still missing and longing for was the practices inside the work, not, you know, not doing transformation or change on the side of the desk or as a extracurricular activity, but what are the ways and means for actually changing how the real work of the business gets done. And so I reached out to Aaron after I left there and um, I think the first time that we met was literally like in front of clients delivering yes. a three-day workshop together, which was one of the funniest experiences of my professional life. <laughs> yeah, we showed up. I showed up at like 11 p.m. We met in the hotel bar and it was like the next day we were on stage for an hour or for a day rather with an entire leadership team. Yeah, crushed. we winged it and crushed yeah. and that was then the rest was history. That yeah. is absolutely amazing. That's incredible. Uh, so tell me guys, what do you wish you had known before starting out on those career paths that ended up here at the ready? What do you wish you'd known before? I think the biggest thing for me that was hard to swallow, but now has opened up a lot of space is that nobody knows what they're doing. I think when I started out my career, I was really looking for like, where's the room where it happens? Where's the room where like everybody is a disciplined, self-aware, totally mature professional who knows exactly what they're doing. And I can just like <laughs> figure that. And then, you know, as, as time went on, as you can imagine, I was disabused of that idea. <laughs> and so I feel really good now. I feel safe in my own uncertainty and, and, you know, the exploration that we all have to do. And it just, I don't know, everything feels a little bit lighter. Absolutely. What about you, Rodney? I wish that I had known that nothing that I thought was valuable or important actually was. So, you know, when I graduated from school, I got a job at what was then one of the big five consultancies, which was quite sought after, quite difficult. And given my GPA, I must have just been really charming in that interview. Uh, and all I was focused on because of how I grew up and because of the world that we live in and because, you know, because extractive capitalism was like the next job, the next mm -hmm. promotion, the next raise. When do I go from a cubicle to an office? When do I get rid of the A before the VP in my title? And so there were um, about 10 years of that and of thinking that there was some plateau at which I would feel like satisfied or joyful or engaged in my work. And um, while those 10 years were quite instructive and certainly have benefited me in terms of what I do now, I wish that I had known how uh, meaningless all of the trappings of success were then. No, absolutely. I can really identify with that off topic slightly, but I moved from, I had a big job in England. I, I run a couple of radio stations and it was where I'd always wanted to be. And it's like, I got to the 
the top of the tree and the view wasn't that great. And yep. I ended up throwing it all away. Uh, we're well, not throwing Smart it all trees. away. Yeah, it's a forest, more work. And um, I moved to Spain. I just absolutely winged it and just literally packed up a van with my partner and my two dogs and I moved to Spain. And it was the biggest life lesson I've ever had because what it was, I was meeting people and they were meeting Claire. They weren't meeting Claire who lives here, drives this car, has this job and this great title. They were meeting me and it broke down so many barriers. I would meet these Spaniards with like straw hats and check shirts, mm. you know, chewing on a piece of straw. And we'd go and look at real estate and property and plots. And I'd be like, what are we doing here? This man is crazy. <laughs> and I'd be told he's like a multi, multi-millionaire. He like owns right. a whole yeah. land in this area. And I'm like, this is where I want to be, where people meet people. They don't meet the prestige and all that bullshit that goes with it. You know, it's a, it was a big life lesson for me anyway. That's yeah. Amazing. And amazingly, you know, I had a very similar experience, Claire, when we decided that we were going to leave New York. I worked in an investment bank for many years. And the reason that I left was because my boss was going to repatriate to Australia. And there was the idea that I was going to take her role, which like on paper was the top of the mountain for me at, you know, at the tender age of 30. And I kind of freaked out and I was like, oh God, that just seems horrible. It seems like just more of everything that's terrible about my life right now. And so my then, was he my, we weren't engaged. I guess he was my boyfriend. I don't know. Maybe that seems right. We decided we were going to leave New York and we went and traveled um, for a year around Asia and very similar to your Spain experience. I found it really enlivening and also quite confusing that no one cared what I did for a living, how much money I had, how many people reported to me. And in a year of not wearing a stitch of makeup or thinking for a moment about work, it really changes one's perspective on uh, what kind of life you want to design for yourself. So good for you in Spain. Yeah, I think for no. me, the realization happened in Vietnam. Oh, goodness me, I bet it did. How did you guys first get involved or hear of conscious capitalism here in Connecticut? Yeah, those guys reached out to us, I think, because they started uh, listening to the Brave New Work podcast and uh, were fans of the book. And, uh, you know, we obviously are fans of conscious capitalism and, uh, from a philosophical perspective, there's a lot of overlap. Obviously, the work that we do shows up differently in the world because we're very focused on other parts of an operating system. But, um, you know, I think the folks there that I've spoken to were quite drawn to the idea of creating organizational design that is more in keeping with the beliefs of conscious capitalism. I think I first read the book and came across it years back. And then when I was doing the research for Brave New Work, I was refreshing what is now called the Brave New Work Library and kind of dusted it off and went back to it. And that book, Firms of Endearment and a few others. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's been a whole kind of like undercurrent of ideas around this stuff flowing for a while here. And I just it just sort of, I don't know buoyed my confidence about, you know, making bolder statements in, in the work. Yeah, absolutely. So thinking about your company, of course, you are able to coach and guide people to get the best out of them. But what about how you guys actually kind of interact? Do you as a company have your own higher purpose? And what does it mean to you? I mean, I think we try to walk the talk. We try to, we try to be guinea pigs for our own ideas and principles as much as possible, sometimes to the point of frustrating ourselves, to be honest. I mean, we we wade into the deep end on things like how we pay each other and how we build roles and how we make agreements and how we structure the company. And we've tried a lot of things and frankly failed at a lot of things along the way with this idea that 
if we're going to be generalists within the specialty of organizational design and change, then we need to have tasted every dish in the restaurant. And so we do, I think, either from our own past experiences, like Rodney's in, you know, serious corporate America, or within our own four walls, trying some of these experiments, we do try to make sure that we have empathy for and understanding of all these different ways of working so that we can kind of be out there representing them authentically. Yeah. And the only thing I would add, I mean, you know, we've always talked about changing the way the world works, which which feels quite lofty and quite aspirational. <laughs> and cool. I think that people that come to work with us, at the ready, both our partners and also our clients, are quite drawn to that idea. So, um, you know, it's not it's not making your strategy incrementally better or making your your organization, you know, slightly more productive. It really is about questioning long held tradition, truth and belief that we don't believe actually serves the people inside of systems. And so uh, to me, like that's pretty easy to get fired up about. And it's pretty hard to argue with when you look at the world we live in. And I, you know, we work pretty hard. I don't know if I would do it if I didn't feel like there was real impact in terms of uh, you and I talk about flipping the table over. We do. We do. We like flipping tables over Claire. (laughs) During office hours or, or after hours? I mean, just times. whenever we're frustrated or, you know, we see a better way. <laughs> Our table budget is huge. Good answer. <laughs> the table line item is just a bloodbath. out of control. <laughs> so if a company wanted to make um, a shift towards a more, more consciousness, what would your first bit of advice be for them? My first bit of advice would be, are you sure? which isn't really advice, but people are drawn to making transformation to be more conscious, to be more adaptable, to be more human for all sorts of reasons. And sometimes those reasons are very compelling because they actually hope for a more verdant organization. And sometimes those reasons are very egoic. And sometimes those reasons are born of crisis. And it's not to say that all of those paths can't lead eventually to a good outcome. But when people are drawn to this work who are inside of organizations that are traditional, hierarchical, extractive, efficiency-oriented, perhaps inhumane, I really invite them to look at what is driving and motivating them because whatever it is, is certainly going to show up in the early days of doing the work. And that's really important. And so if you're sort of the one iconoclastic outlier who wants to flip the table over, great. I definitely want to talk to you and I want to know why for you. And do you have any buddies or is this like a one person (laughs) joint? Because, wow, you know, it's tough. Yeah, uh, self-organization by mandate and decree. I think I would love that to be the first step, actually, is, is yeah, are you sure? Because the, the commitment piece of this is always the most important part of the puzzle. And then I would say, if you are sure, the next step, which at this point is bordering on cliche for me to say, but I, I really believe it, is to ask the question, to go to your team or teams or all hands and say, what's stopping us from doing the best work of our lives? Because... That question, lofty though it is, really does expose what everyone's sitting with and everyone's sitting with something. It's they're sitting with, I've got the wrong boss or I don't have enough authority or I don't have the information I need or I don't like our budgeting process or we have too many freaking meetings or I'm swimming an email or whatever the case may be. I just got off the phone with a client of ours who was dealing with just work-life balance issues, right? Like there's something going on 
Everybody knows what it is for them. And if you can just listen and just uh, make space for people to start to talk about their tension, that's the first step. Because once we're talking about it, once we're making space, once we're noticing, then possibilities start to accumulate and we start to see things we didn't see before. And so I think regardless of what it is, and it's probably going to be more than one thing because we're not all in some average you know, experience, um, you'll get a map of the territory and then you can take the willingness and the insight about the tension into some form of experimenting and playing. What's been your greatest professional success to date? It's a tough question for me because I have uh, unusually high bars based on some personal work I have yet to do about achievement and ambition. <laughs> um, so. I love that you're adding yourself though, bud. Yeah. Like so it's, I have, yeah, I have stories there that I need to work through. Um, <laughs> but I would say right now I'm, I really am genuinely proud of both the book and the podcast. I feel like they both are brave new work as a, as a statement feels really true to me. It feels really honest. It feels like something that, that I and we have worked really hard on. And it seems like it's something that is resonating with people in a meaningful way. So I, yeah, I think that's probably where I'm at right now. I was also going to say the podcast for nice. a slightly different reason. There are two things about it that make it feel very uh, fulfilling and satisfying and like something I'm really proud of. One is that when I listen to the podcast that Aaron and I make, I know that I know what I'm talking about because I've actually done it. <laughs> and I know when I listen to us talk with real depth about our experience, that they are lived experiences in transforming real organizations. And the transformations themselves and those outcomes, those are not my stories, but I know that the role that I played in them is what has led me to be able to talk really for real about them. And the other piece of it that uh, is really important to me is just that I feel like I can be myself, um, you know, swearing and laughing and stupid dad jokes and all. Um, I just feel like I can show up very fully on our podcast, both in our relationship and as an individual. And I've not always worked in places where I felt that way. And Absolutely. so for me to be able to do that and then also have it be like quite well received is, um, is the best. Tell me a little bit about the podcast. How did it come about and how often do you release your podcast? How can people download them and get hold of them? So I'll let Erin right. talk about that part because I don't know. Go um, on, it's a self-gratuitous plug. Off you go. So I don't know if you remember this, but we were at a retreat in Essex at that mm -hmm. place that like didn't have power or yes. something. Yeah, that was weird. That was a weird retreat. Um, anyway, we were talking about doing participatory governance and uh, I was asking Aaron if he could do a little sesh for some of our newer team members on the intricacies of that. And it turned into like a fairly hilarious riff that made us both uh, laugh. And someone was walking by who we worked with and they were like, you guys should do a podcast. Uh, and then we sort of batted around and we were like, what would it be like? like? What would we do? What would we say? What would we cover? And then we we're like, oh, it would just be like if we were talking, but it was recorded and then other people listened to it. And so that was how, and then, you know, a year went by and then we actually got to it. And that is how the podcast was born. <laughs> yeah, and that's true. It, it this is it really was born of just like let's take what's already happening and just put a mic in the room. And I think the like trigger moment for it was that when the book came out, because books are linear and one shot, it just felt like what well what didn't we get to say? What didn't we get to address? What questions are we sitting with now? Like all the all the livingness of it, all the aliveness was 
was not there. And so the podcast was like a place to put all that energy and all that ongoing learning. So that worked well chronologically, I think. And where to get it, how to get it. So, I mean, it's it's called Brave New Work. It's on, you know, wherever you get your podcasts for sure. And we we have tried fairly faithfully to to come out once a week with, with new episodes on Mondays. We've had a few hiccups for various reasons over the last, you know, half a year. But for the most part, on Monday, there's something in your in your feed. And we're doing a mix this season, season three of episodes that are just Rodney and myself talking through a key topic, like a recent episode on principles or remote facilitation, and then episodes where we're interviewing folks that are out there, you know, either changing or have changed, uh, you know, institutions in meaningful ways. And so we try to keep it really practical and focused on the people, like Rodney said, that are like, for real doing it, living it, and aware of how, how very hard it is. That's fantastic. I love how it was born. How amazing is that? You know, when you have that kind of rapport, we would say banter. I don't know if that translates too well. Oh, yeah. in, a, in it a, does. Yeah, when you've got that banter, it's uh, it's the perfect platform for it. And I love the idea that you're right, that the book is very linear and static, but podcasting obviously gives you that opportunity to stay so current and up to date and it'd be a little bit more nimble, I would say. So when you guys aren't focused on your work and flipping tables, in Rodney's case, or uh, recording podcasts, uh, what do you guys like to do to relax? What do you, what do, you do to chill out? I, I guess I'll give an active answer and, a, and an inactive answer. So on the active front, I've gotten pretty enamored with rock climbing this year. So that's been a big hobby of mine. The pandemic has put a real damper on that. So I'm climbing around the house uh, to the chagrin <laughs> of my wife. Um, but, uh, but then on the inactive front, I do, I have the kind of brain where I have to really turn it off. And the only way I know how to do that is to like watch a movie or listen to a podcast. And so I do plug into media at least once every other day and just disappear as an entity into whatever that story is. Yeah, that's really nice. I was interviewing um, an author of the book, uh, Dare to Inspire, uh, Alison Holzer. And one of the phrases that she taught me or rather was talking about was when she likes to take a, a brain sabbatical. And mm-hmm. I just love that <laughs> love concept that. that she says, yeah. I diarize time every week or I go and do something, whether it be walking or whatever, and I take a brain sabbatical. I say, wow, I think 20 years of my life's been this big sabbatical. But um, <laughs> Rodney, <laughs> what about you, Rodney? What do you do to relax? Um, I have lots of hobbies. I am a dabbler by nature. Um, when I was growing up uh, in Connecticut by you, I was a very serious musician as a child. And um, I was a classical cellist. And now as a grown-up in rebellion to my conservative musical upbringing, um, I play in a band with one other person. Our band is called Tiny Bubbles and we rearrange uh, 70s rock music for cello and piano. Yes. So that takes up a bit of time. I'm like a, I'm real like Bob Seger, ride or die. Um, And then uh, I also have this... um, my husband and I purchased a lake house in a very rural place in Southern Virginia last year that is a mess and a money pit and a 30-year project. But um, I'm like learning how to, you know, I'm learning how to do things like grown-up homeowner things that I've never done before. And so um, this past weekend, I spent uh, painting brick, which is a huge pain in the ass, but I enjoy it. You know, it's good for my brain to just tune out and do something physical uh, when I'm not doing this very heady work. Fantastic. So we lose Aaron to media and you watch paint dry. I mean, that's just exactly. riveting. That's just that's exactly right. 
One of the all-time best. Um, okay, this is a tough question, and, and I forgive me. If you could have dinner with any figure in history, they can be alive, by the way, or they can be dead. I don't mind. We can bring them back. Uh, who would it be and why? And what question would you really like to ask them? Mm. I'm so bad at this question. I have a two-way tie, so I'm going to have a table for three. Um, table for three. It's going to be me, Walt Disney, and Stanley Kubrick. Wow. And, and I'm going to ask both of them, how they were able to kind of hold such a high standard. Like, how did they get people around them to to rise to that? And what did they learn? What were the things that they did that ultimately were negative, even though they maybe worked, the, the, the hard pushing? And what were the things they did that, that worked effortlessly? I would say my grandpa. Um, my mom's dad, who passed, who I thought was quite amazing. I would have dinner with him, both because I just feel like it would be fun to catch up and I didn't have him around long enough. And because I really want to know about the afterlife. And he's the person who I would want <laughs> to explain it to me because uh, I know that he would do so with a lot of humor. That's brilliant. What a great answer. What has been your greatest fear that you've had to face in your life and, and kind of overcome it? That I won't do anything significant. I think I've always wanted to be remembered or known or admired and I'm only now unwinding that to let go and just do what brings me joy. So is it recognition that you, you seek or just to leave a lasting mark somewhere on this planet? I think a little bit of both, but I would settle for the mark. Rodney, your greatest fear that you've had to overcome? Um, I, for a long time, I was quite worried about whether I was truly doing things for myself or for other people. I sometimes got very confused about whose plan or motivation I was following. And it took quite a bit of like self-work and coaching and learning to figure out what is most important to me and to be very um, comfortable, like not even courageous, just like very comfortable in being boundaried and in saying no to what is not for me. Absolutely. It's doing something that makes your heart sing. is It's always a big gamble, isn't it? And something that gives you or ignites that fire in your belly. And I think very few people are blessed with that opportunity to do something that they love and yeah. having that that confidence and that, that drive, I guess, to, to reach for those goals, even though they're not the conventional path you're supposed to take. It's, it's a big gamble that, but uh, if you find a job you love, you never do a day's work in your life. So true. So to wrap up then, guys, tell me a little bit about your plans. Obviously, we're going for world domination. Aaron wants <laughs> to be remembered and put his mark on the planet, but what are your, your, your real strategic plans if you like both personally and professionally say the next five ten years don't include the next 30 years which is when you'll sort out that lake house in virginia <laughs> the next maybe that paint will have dried on that brick <laughs> but just what are you what are your five-year ten-year goals personally and professionally i just want to keep doing this i am not a very goal-oriented person i live emergently and you know i hope that the work that i'm doing now leads to more interesting versions of what I do now. That's really it professionally. Like I fundamentally believe in what we do and in the outcome that it has. And I just want it to be bigger and, and more impactful. And personally, more of the same. I mean, you know, my goal is that my husband and I stay 
uh, happy and healthy and much the way that we've been for the last, I don't know, 15 years for the next 15, that would be pretty great for me. It's a very content answer, that one. It's very content. Rodney's killing it. Um, I, yeah, I mean, definitely that. And I'm really interested in planting seeds in and around what we're doing that feed each other. I'm interested in how education feeds people into the workforce, how people can start and feed things that have different values and principles inside the world of work. I'm just, and then I'm interested in society. Like I, my wife and I hold this like secret closet goal to like start a town somewhere somehow and like completely reimagine it, you know, like from the trash cans up. So hang on, hang on, hang on. This has got shades of the handmaid's tale. Are we talking Gilead? Oh, no, no, no. no. For starters, <laughs> the entire leadership team will be women. Um, oh, <laughs> but uh, but the trash cans will be very well designed. I love that. That's brilliant. Tell me then, to, to wrap up, how can people find out more about you, The Ready, your website, social media? How do they get involved? How do they reach out to you, Aaron, and change the world with you? <laughs> well, uh, let's see. I'll try to do this as, as efficiently as possible. So there's TheReady.com. There's BraveNewWork.com. Rodney and I are both on Twitter and LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find. I'm at Aaron Dignan. She's at Rodney Evans 919, I believe. Correct. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Nailed it. There can't um, be that many of you. There just can't be. <laughs> yeah. There is then... one. Go Google him. He's quite famous. <laughs> is he? There's a very famous saxophonist called Claire Edwards, and I'm always really devastated. What a bummer. I'm going to try and um, sell my website. What are you on about? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. Carry on. No, I think I was just about done. And then, you know, obviously, uh, Brave New Work, the book is out there as well. But those are the places where we play. And then beyond that, we try to just live in the work. So we don't do a lot of Instagramming and promoting and all that. We're kind of out there making a mess instead. Fantastic. Flipping tables and making a mess, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Never a chore. Rodney and Aaron from The Ready, thank you for your time. Much appreciated and I wish you well. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the latest installment of The Curious Capitalist. For more information, you can visit the website, connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org.